listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello! Welcome to the Animal Party. You're here with Deborah Wolf. And this must be Pet Life Radio because we're finishing up our show with Professor Stanley Corin, Dr. Stanley Corin, professor at UBC in psychology, psychiatry, and uh, he knows the dog mind, he knows the human mind. He's also a best-selling author of many books, including The Intelligence of Dogs. And um, wow, it's been the first part was such a whirlwind of a show. And I promised you in part one, which was episode three, I promised you that in episode four, this is it, part two, that I would solve the trivia question, which is, who held the record in the Victorian times for killing the most rats? And it was not a rat terrier, no, no, not a chihuahua, not a Jack Russell, nope, nope. It was a bull terrier named Tiny. And Tiny was so tiny, she was only five and a half pounds. She was smaller than some of the rats she was killing. She could kill, you won't believe this, she, she could kill 50 rats in 28 minutes. And they believe if they estimated her lifetime, she could kill 5,000 rats or 1.5 tons. Now, that was probably a really valuable asset in Victorian times, and it probably is still today, given that they say that each Londoner is outnumbered 100 to 1 by the rat population of London. Now, don't be smug if you're sitting somewhere in North America thinking, oh, thank God, I'm not back in Europe. No, no. Our cities are just as bad, if not worse in some cases. Urban cities right now need rat patrol. That's why we need our coyotes. And we need to keep things in check. And we need to keep our garbage under control, too, and get clean about it. So welcome to the party. We're going to have Stan Korn joining us soon. Isn't that great? And we'll be talking about the intelligence of dogs, dumb dogs, smart dogs, how dogs learn, how dogs think, whether or not there should be a pit bull ban, and some other issues we've dealt with that are in the news, and we want to hear the professor's take on it for sure. So tune into this show. Come to the party. Get your drink ready. Get your hors d'oeuvres. Get a comfortable chair and join our animal party. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. Pawfume Dog Grooming and Finishing Spray is proud to be a new sponsor of Pet Life Radio. Pawfume Super Long Lasting Sprays are available in four unique fragrances. Each Pawfume spray is fortified with the finest conditioners and detanglers to make combing out your dog more fun. Pawfume retails for only $2 per 6-ounce bottle. Pawfume is available nationwide at all Dollar General and Family Dollar stores. Why pay more to have your dog smell great? Pawfume, P-A-W-F-U-M-E. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. 
Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to teacherspetsessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Silvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com You're inside the VIP room With the hottest party in town Back to the party Let's go Welcome back to the animal party We're here with Stanley Corrin This is a book all about the intelligence of dogs But when you're picking a pet Because most of the dogs in here If you take the top half of the list anyway They're all going to be easy to train Easy enough and they're all going to be good pets. You've got to make your decision more on things like exercise. If you don't run and walk every single day, even when you're working, even when the weather's bad, you really can't get one of these dogs that's bred for high endurance work like a Border Collie. If you don't like brushing your own hair and your kid's hair, you should not get an Afghan because it requires a lot of maintenance. So you have to think about these type of things. The intelligence, unless you're picking the extreme, you know, unless you really want to go around and teach your dog tons of party tricks and you've picked the bottom of the heap, you're going to have no problem. What we want from our dogs, to me, is like kindergarten compared to what they can do. You know, compared to what they can do when they're detecting a bomb or chasing down prey or, or the things they want to do. Um, compared to what, they, what they're able to do, what we need from them is so simple that we really needn't worry about this when we're choosing a dog, I don't think. More so the trainability. Because if you're a person who frustrates easily, if you want things to come quickly, then you should get a dog that's pretty trainable. I would suggest that. Yeah, but you also really have to pay attention to size and to activity level. I mean, yeah. one of the dogs in the top ten is the Rottweiler. Mm. That's a big, strong dog. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you've got little kids, first of all, you know, I, I don't re- usually recommend a Rottie because, uh, it's simply because of the fact, that, not that they're going to harm your kids deliberately, but it's simply the fact that, you know, you've got a 120-pound dog and you've got a 20-pound kid and, you know, yeah. they're going to have to get knocked, o- knocked over quite accidentally and this sort of thing. But it's also the case that, you know, if you've got a 120-pound dog, it's that's a hard dog for a person to handle if the dog starts to get uppity and, and antsy mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So you really do have to pick size. Uh, you know, size is a real factor. I mean, as as as... You know, I I am very cognizant of that simply because of the fact that I'm getting older. 
And so, you know, it gets harder for me to handle some of the bigger dogs. That's even given the fact that I, you know, do an awful lot. You have your timing. You have your technique. You know the skill. Yeah, and even still. That's right. And and do a lot of lure training and that sort of things, which really don't require that I sort of muscle the dog around. Um, but nonetheless, there are going to be times, you know, like the dog suddenly gets goofy. Oh, look at that squirrel. I got to go get that, you know. Or I'm, I'm going to grab your ankle and run around with it because I think that looks fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You got to be able to have the strength to sort of to, 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 um, uh, to handle that. The second thing is, is, um, is activity level. Activity level is, 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 uh, probably the second or third most, uh, common reason why, uh, uh, people tend to uh, turn in their dogs to a shelter because they have a dog who is much more active than their lifestyle. I mean, you have a dog like a Border Collie, for example, or a Dalmatian. I mean, you know, those dogs are going to require exercise. And if you don't get out Weimaraner, of Pointer, yeah. all these dogs, and people sometimes think when they're shopping for a dog like that, they look for the littlest. They think, oh, if I get a small golden doodle or I get a small Dalmatian or I get that it will need less exercise and that is wrong those yeah. medium sized dogs need the most so if you do want one of these very very active breeds at least go big because it will be a little bit lazier not much but a little bit well and, but the, the other thing is you know people have to watch out you know the size thing uh, as you said is something where, where uh, people make the wrong judgments like I have people who have come to me and they've they they bought themselves a Yorkshire Terrier because they thought it would be a perfect dog for an apartment building. Um, and guess what? Their problem is the dog barks all the time. Well, excuse yeah, me, so you know, Terriers come out of the womb wearing a <laughs> T-shirt which reads Born to Bark, and their <laughs> size is irrelevant. In this. I mean, if you want a quiet dog in an apartment building where people are going up and down the the hallways, uh, you know, you don't get a terrier. It's just, it's just not going to work. What do you get? What do you like get? Like a Bichon, maybe? Well, I mean, we, I, there, there are a lot of dogs. Uh, a lot of the companion Shitsu? dogs. Uh, uh, the Bichon works. The, uh, a Shih Tzu? Uh, uh, the Shih Tzu, sort of. They're, they've got some terrier yeah. blood in them. Jack a Lassa, maybe? <laughs> a Coton de Toulier, a Havanese, okay. a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, okay. um, a little Pomeranian, a Papillon. Okay. I mean, you know, those... The, and you those still are, have to teach it. You still have to teach it quiet and be nice and meet the, you know, have it around the lobby and, the, and so diffuse its sensitivity to all this so it understands people come and go and you still have to teach it. But it can oh. learn this more easily because it's not set up by nature to be a guard dog. That's right. Or to sound off. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, the, I always hear it in my terrier's voices. You know, they, they seem to be yelling, the barbarians are coming, the barbarians are coming, <laughs> rally the defense. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. And, and there is a difference. I mean, you know, these, the big, big guard dogs, they don't bark a lot. They don't need to. You know, that, like a Rottweiler will really wait. And he'll give one or two big, loud barks when it's necessary. He's not high-strung. He's not worried about his ability to protect things. But these little guys, if they're trying to protect things and they're tiny, they're basically just alarm bells. That's all they are. Yeah, and that's the difference between a watchdog and a guard dog. You, you, you have to always remember that the watchdogs are set up to sound the alarm. And, you know, you can get tiny dogs. I mean, you know, chihuahuas can serve as a perfectly decent watchdog. They will sound the alarm if something odd has happened. But a guard well, dog... Well, they use geese in Germany, so yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> and but the guard dogs are set up to actually physically guard you. So, you know, um, the poodle, for example, uh, would not be a wonderful guard dog. I mean, even the standard poodle. Uh, uh, he just doesn't have the bulk and the strength for it. But he does uh, have a menacing bark. And if you yeah. let him get very, very furry, he does look big. So the, he can, you know, if someone's really allergic and they have to have a hypoallergenic breed and they're worried about their safety, he will bark. And he is a big dog. So about, you don't have to... Talk about sorry. hypoallergenic. Let me tell you. Yeah, I know. There's no such thing as hypoallergenic. But it, no, if no. You, it's as close as you can get, though, with a poodle, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. I mean, but let me tell you a funny story, okay? You know okay. That, that President Obama's daughter, Malia, has right. allergies, okay? And so they announced, you know, right off the bat after the election, they were going to get her a dog. Uh, right after the uh, inauguration, um, you know, a day or two afterwards, um, I was sitting in my office and I get this phone call from this character who introduces himself. And apparently he was on Obama's staff. And he had been tasked by the president to go consult some experts about, you know, hypoallergenic dogs. Okay. So he wanted some information from me. So I said to him, I said, look, the first thing which you got to recognize is that this is not going to be a dog for the president. It's a dog for two little girls. Right. So that's the way you should think about it. And if you are looking for a hypoallergenic dog for two little girls and you went to the American Kennel Club, they would tell you get a Bichon Freeze. Right. I said, but there are two other breeds which I also like, which don't shed, and they're derived from the Maltese. The Maltese just has way too much hair. But uh, And I said, one of them is the Coton de Toulier, and the other is the Havanese. Mm -hmm. There was a pause, and he said, Havanese? And I said, yes, as in Havana, Cuba. He said, Oh, no. He said, that wouldn't be. Shame. No. Shame, no, but okay. Yeah. It must be hard to live under that kind of scrutiny where even your choice of dog has to be has to be a rescue, has to be bicolor, has to be, you know, this, that, the other. Can't be from Cuba. Like, oh, my goodness. That's yeah, well, a, I mean, it, 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 but the thing was that, that, that I had already been told by several people that he was going to get a Portuguese water dog. And the reason uh, was fairly obvious. Uh, he's a close friend of Teddy Kennedy. Okay. Uh, and Teddy Kennedy has always had porties. So that solved the whole problem because, uh, you know, if he got a dog as a gift from Teddy Kennedy, then, of course, you know, he didn't choose it. They don't have to go through the rescue business uh, or stuff like mm -hmm. that. So, I hope that this doesn't cause a huge you know, upswing in popularity, which depletes the breed, which is two things I want to talk about that we've sort of touched on. You talked about the Roddy being maybe not the best choice of dog for families. And I want to talk about the pit bull ban in Ontario and what's happened lately. But then we were just... So let's just talk about that. So in Ontario, there's a ban against pit bulls. And it was challenged because they were saying, look, it's too broad. It covers anybody that looks sort of like a pit bull, anybody that's a mutt, you know, anybody that's cross. It's just too broad. They're saying, you know, the people challenging it saying it captures half-breeds, mutts, and even dogs that look like pit bulls. And that's unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court threw it out. So the law stands. Pitbulls are not, and pitbull-like dogs are not welcome in Ontario. How do you feel about this? What's your opinion on this? Well, I, I mean, the the data is very clear. I mean, the bully-type dogs do, in fact, uh, get involved in more biting incidents and in more serious biting incidents. 
Having said that, you've got to recognize that uh, there are several different lines of these particular dogs. And, you know, the ones which tend to be bad are the ones which are so-called game-bred. Uh, they were really bred for fighting and that sort of thing. And um, I was called upon to do a report for the Ontario legislature, and, um, and, and so was Alan Beck, by the way, uh, on this. And, um, you know, basically we recognize the fact that there are statistical indications that these breeds get involved in more biting incidents, but also the fact that the dogs which get involved in the biting incidents um, tend from certain lines uh, and from individuals in certain occupations, like I am drug dealer, protect my stash uh, right. kind of thing. Um, and um, so... Our argument was, or at least my argument was, that um, that breed-specific bans are not, you know, a good idea. Um, there's there's some data which was produced by the American Animal Hospital uh, Association, um, and uh, they showed that if you if you gave a dog a basic dog obedience class, we're talking about. Everybody stands around in a circle and, you know, we teach Lassie how to sit and Lassie how to go mm -hmm. down and that sort of thing. Um, you reduce the likelihood that um, uh, that dog will be involved in a major biting incident by 89%. Wow. And wow, that's amazing. Isn't that incredible? And that's then, amazing. And then there's some data which I've collected over the years here in Vancouver um, in which uh, we show that if you give kids, the most common target for, for, for major biting incidents are kids. Um, and um, if you give kids, and we choose um, uh, third graders, so they're about nine years of age as our target group. Target um, hit rates. That's the boys nine well, years old. That's them. That's the target. Well, we, we choose them for, for, for several reasons. First of all, they understand what we're doing, but also they communicate with the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we, we have data that if you give uh, a one-hour, you know, bite-proofing um, lesson, the sort of thing like, like Joan Orr and Teresa Lewin, uh, do with their doggone safe program. Um, you know what you what you do is you reduce the likelihood that <clears throat> that uh, any child who got that program would be bitten by eighty percent. And catch oh my this, gosh! And catch this because this is this is the fabulous part about it. You reduce the likelihood that anybody else in their family will get bitten by sixty percent. In other words, ah. they go back and tell their kid, their their siblings. You know, yeah, their, how to uh, greet a dog, to ask you know that th that's not what you do, right? Like these. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh! Why isn't this being offered in the schools? Why isn't this well, everywhere? It's crazy. Well, I, that's so good. Well, that's that's one of the things which I which you know which drives me crazy. I mean, you know, as I said, Joan Orr and Teresa Lewin have put together this wonderful website and uh, and that's dogonsafe.com? Is that uh, what yeah. it is? Okay, yep. so and, let's give that as our favorite website of the day, doggonsafe.com. I haven't done that yet today. All right, well, this has been a great show so far, and I don't want to interrupt, but I must go change the tunes. So we're going to have to take a little break and hear from our sponsors. These are the people that make this show possible, so give a listen. Have a listen to them, and in no time at all, you can come back to the party. Join me. Join me in some party games. 
Here's the best is yet to come. Stick around. Give your dog some thought. With Dog Thoughts, it's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. Hey, what do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. Huh? No, it's true. I read about it on my cat's Twitter page. That's fine. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. <gasps> on your iPhone, of course. Take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, Dusty Rainbolt, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. The VIP room with the hottest party in town. Back to the party. Let's go. Welcome back to the animal party. We're here with Stanley Corin, author of The Intelligence of Dogs, among others, best selling author, professor, Dr. Stanley Corin, joins us today to talk about dogs, the real inside of the dog brain, the dog mind, how they compare with each other. What kind of dog have you got? Is your dog smart? Is your dog dumb? Well, this is the show for you. Keep listening. Dogonsafe.com. There you go. It's two Gs. (laughs) Doggone. Okay. But 
and they've been providing uh, materials just at cost uh, for you know teachers and that sort of thing uh, to use uh, to to put together these kinds of programs, um, and and it drives me crazy. I mean, you know, here in Vancouver, uh, as part of the nature studies, I mean, the kids study, you know, have have a several oh, yeah. hours. Oh yeah, butterflies, worms, and. Yeah, tree tree frogs. I mean, my yeah, God, exactly. you're living in the inner city. We're gonna see a tree frog. <laughs> you know? um, but anyway, so you take those two stats, okay? The the eighty nine um, uh, percent reduction from having a um, uh, a basic class and the eighty percent uh, reduction from educating our kids. And basically, you know, you've knocked down the incidence of dog bites by, you know, 95, 96%. And since there are only, you know, on average, uh, one or two fatalities a year um, in Canada from dog bites, I mean, you've basically wiped out the fatalities. And you can take action against the individuals who don't, you know, take their dogs to a class. You know, you just have different colored licenses on it, you know. If, That's a great if, idea. I love that idea. Because, you know, the good players should get, I'd like to be able to walk a good dog if I'm a good owner and not have the scrutiny of everybody because somebody bad walked there the day before. You know, right. to have a clear sign that, hey, this dog's passed a test and he can be walked here. That That's would be right, so yeah. much better. The canine citizen, I wish they'd make that possible to be useful. You know, like with, like you say, some clear badge or symbol on the dog that shows that, look, this one's all right. That's um, right. And, and then you could have all dogs who have not had that class, for example. On uh, leash. When, well, all, either on leash or even muzzled, you know, if they're above, let's say, 55 pounds. You know, just as a public. You know, I don't really like doing the weight thing because I do find that that little dogs do bite a lot, and and kids bend down and they get bit in the face, and so I'd rather put it on to the owner to get the class, regardless of size. That's fine. I mean, I could live with that perfectly well, but you know, this is what we recommended to the Ontario legislature, and they didn't go. You know, I I I know exactly what went through their head, and uh, you know, in some respects, they're right. You know, I'm a university professor, and university professors think that the answer to everything is education. So, you know, I'm sure that they thought, yeah, 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 right. Okay. So. Okay. Well, that was one contentious topic. Here's another one. Here's another controversial topic: vegetarian dog food. There's a lot going on about cats and this pull to put cats in a vegetarian diet. And I've done a few shows on interviewing cat experts about that, and it's a no. You should not put a cat on a vegetarian diet. What about dogs? I don't think so. I mean, dogs can survive on 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 uh, vegetarian food, but you know they are in 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 uh, the evolutionary class um, carnivora. Well, yeah. you know, carnivora are meat eaters. Excuse me. That's what they were designed to do. Now, the truth of the matter is that dogs are closer to being omnivores. I mean, they'll eat anything. Uh, they're, not great at, they're not great at eating insects or lemons, but you know, <laughs> other than that, they. But will they thrive on it? I don't think so. I mean, I don't you think know, so I, I believe that you know maybe somebody can come along with you know something which is ninety percent soy or something like that and convince me that a dog uh, will survive on it. But but certainly the kinds of things which are are available right now, I don't particularly um, favor them. 
Okay, uh, so the next one. I've got another one for you. Another hot-button topic. Recently, big news in the UK, drastic changes to the breeding rules there. If you want to compete, if you want to show, if you want to breed and judge, you got to change the way you're doing it, especially if you're in certain breeds like uh, the Bulldog can no longer have a tiny, tiny pelvis and a giant, giant head, which makes it almost impossible for them to deliver babies without C-section. Things like this are being changed. I think Pomeranian muzzles are being lengthened, as an example. There's a bunch of things they found that breeding to an excessive beauty standard caused extremes that were no longer healthy for the dog's function, like breathing, sweating, crying, ear problems, eye problems, nose problems, um, things like this, uh, or the the problem I mentioned with um, not being able to have your pups naturally. So these changes are coming, and it looks like they're going to come, I I think it's going to take over the whole world eventually. It's already simmering into the cat world in the UK from the dog world. What do you think about all this? Well, uh, I've seen these regulations, and I think that uh, they are excessive. You know, there, there are some travesties which have been um, you know done to dogs uh, over the years uh, by people breeding to to their notion of, of uh, like what? beauty well like the the um, uh, very strong inclination uh, of the back in uh, German the shepherd? shepherds yes. I mean they have taken a dog which was you know one of the most wonderful working dogs in the universe and and slope. In, they made a slope, right? This is what you're talking right. about. That's okay. right. That's a, that's a sloped back, and they basically turned uh, you turned them into cripples. And you know, if you go to Europe, they basically talk about the fact that um, you know, in a, in in America, in the North America, we have destroyed the breed, and that sort of thing I find to be you know not morally. But you do have to remember that there are a huge number of breed clubs and breeders uh, which are really in the other direction. I mean, they are working very, very hard to keep their breed healthy, to encourage standards. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the working dogs, right? The ones where they also compete in something like herding or getting ducks for the hunter or whatever, field trials of a various need. The dog has to stay true to its health or it can't function. That's right. And, you know, when, when I was young, Irish setters had a real problem, uh, which is with a weak heart septum. And in fact, you know, I lost an Irish setter who was less than two years of age. He was running across the field to me. And, and one day, one moment he was alive, and the next moment he's dead. He just blew out his heart. And, and the Irish setter club in the States was, was very, very conscientious. What they did was that they contributed more than a quarter of a million dollars over several years to the Canine Genome Project, and they found a blood marker. So there's a, a, a relatively inexpensive, I think it's about 60 bucks or something like that, blood test, which you can give to dogs, and you can exclude those who have the marker for this, this weak heart septum. And Amazing. in effect, they've wiped that problem it out. Amazing. And so, you know, and that they did, you know, out of their pockets. I mean, you know, out of love of the breed. And, and this sort of thing, you know, goes on a lot more of it than, than you might think. I mean, in the retrievers, uh, and especially in the, in the uh, Nova, Nova Scotia duck culling retrievers, PRA, progressive, progressive retinal uh, atrophy, has, has been a problem. 
And a large number of groups have contributed to the research, and they now have a blood marker for that. I mean, you can now take a simple genetic test. It costs you 75 bucks, and this will be wiped out of the breed, uh, the breeds within the next five or six years, I hope. You know what? We've uh, run out of time, unfortunately. Can I have you back someday? Because we've run out of time. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I want to end with a joke, and then I have to tell them, the trivia answer of the day comes from your book, Intelligence of Dogs. Um, but I'm also going to end by explaining a couple of the tests they can find in your book. So if they want to find out if their own dog is smart or dumb, they can get the book and figure it out. Um, but one thing I did want to ask you that we didn't get to through all this is if a dog, in the course of a dog's life, I've never asked you this before, if a dog is, okay, say he's just average for whatever, but let's just pick a golden retriever. He's an average golden retriever. He's pampered. He's loved. He's in a home. Everything's great for him. All of a sudden, he gets thrown out of that. The people die or whatever. There's a flood. Katrina, I don't know. He ends up in a shelter. He ends up on a long, hard road. Does he get smarter because he needs to? No. I mean, dogs which have uh, many and varied experiences not only get smarter, but their brains actually grow. I mean, in, in my book, uh, why does my dog uh, act that way? Um, I talk about uh, the research which shows that the more and more varied experiences that a dog has, the, the, the bigger their brain and the, and, and the smarter they get. And, and that's, that's, that's science. That's not, uh, so even but, though he's already matured and grew up a pampered puppy with limited experiences, so he didn't really have to use his wits, but he has them. Somewhere in there he's got them. Yep. Would they be engaged and activated when he needs them? Would he if, would if it become they, if, brighter? If they go to a secure and supportive environment, uh, then the answer is they certainly have the opportunity to become brighter. Now, obviously, the, the flip side of that is, you know, that if their, their, their life has suddenly been shattered by, you know, some sort of tragedy, right. you know, they do suffer from, from the doggy equivalent of post-traumatic stress syndrome. So, you know, that can interfere. Okay, with so your thing. example for this is a, a better example would be a dog who's isolated and understimulated and then gets rescued. And he will go from maybe not being very bright to learning how to learn and learning how to engage as well. And then he might become brighter. through certain, right. But, or, but or, the other way, you don't think like a dog who all of a sudden becomes homeless would go from being a dog who couldn't, for the love of God, catch anything to being a dog who can hunt. You no, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use that example. The example which I would okay. use is if somebody goes from somebody who's basically housebound and, you know, they don't do anything except watch Oprah with their master or mistress. And then for whatever reason, they are adopted into a house full of kids with lots of things going on and the people willing to take the dog to classes or to go out and play with it. And that dog will get a lot smarter. There's one dog I knew, a wolf cross, who never killed anything. Okay, he was young and fit and healthy and he would chase things and hunt things when the people took him to the park or whatever. But all of a sudden, at about age seven, he started to kill things. And I mean, yep. within a week, he could kill 11 squirrels in a half an hour. He could kill five rabbits in an hour. At the same parks they've been going to all these years where he'd never been successful, now they had to leash him. How did that happen? Now, well, wolf crosses are a special example. Uh, the general oh, okay. finding which we have is that even though the dogs don't show the wolf-like behavior characteristics when they're young, they will when they're older. So there's a wonderful uh, set of studies which were, which were done um, trying to rear the do wolves as dogs. 
And, you know, in the early stages, you can take them to dog obedience class. But by the time they're two or three, they're already starting to resist and their, their other uh, instincts are starting to come back. And so one of the um, uh, major researchers in this area has basically said that um, he knows of nobody who uh, doesn't begin to become worried about their wolf or, or wolf hybrid uh, by the time they're aged four or five. Uh, okay. Because they're already beginning to show behaviors which are um, wolf, which are wild, wolfy. that are yes. in the wild. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to tell people after I say goodbye to you, I'm going to tell them about how they can test their dog at home with the towel and the blanket and moving the furniture, and how they can find more tests in your book. I'm also going to tell them about Tiny, the bull terrier, because that's mm-hmm. in your book, and I'm going to try and get them to pick up your book. So where can they get your book? As they say, in better bookstores everywhere or in all the usual online uh, booksellers, Amazon, Chapters, Indigo, whatever. And it's called The Intelligence of Dogs by Stanley Corin. And you have many other dog books. If people are interested in knowing why we get the dogs we do, how dogs think, um, how dogs speak, I'm not trying to do your titles, although your titles are so on the money for what they're about (laughs) that I'm getting close. Maybe you want to just give a few of your titles. Can you give a few um, of your titles so they know yeah, what to look for? Um, how dogs think, uh, how to speak dog, uh, why does my dog act that way. And, and my most recent book is uh, The Modern Dog, which is really about the human-animal relationship, the, you know, where dogs fit in our society. And, oh, yeah, I have a kid's book, which is just one another major award, uh, oh, nice. uh, and, which is, uh, and the, the kid's book is called Why Do Dogs Have Wet Noses? And that's, <laughs> the, that's with the 7 to 12 age range. Okay. Okay, I've got a joke for you before I say goodbye. Here's the joke. If there's a big hole in the ground, the German Shepherd will go around it. The standard poodle will jump over it. And the Irish Setter will fall into it. <laughs> How's that? How's that for a summary of the intelligence of dogs? Well, I wouldn't have put this the eye or setter, but uh, if you're on the on the track. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you very much for joining me, and I hope y'all come back again. All right, you take care. Okay, thank you. All right, so that was Stanley Corn just leaving the party now, and he told me I could give you something in a loop bag. So here you go, something to take home with you. On page one sixty-two of his book, which you can get at Better Bookstores, you'll find a test you can give your own dog to see where he scores. Is he smart like a border collie? Is he not so smart like maybe a pug? This is what you do. I'll just give you three of them. There's a whole bunch. You can take a blanket. When your dog's sitting and relaxed, and toss it over him, and just with a stopwatch, see how long it takes him to get it off. Now, that how long it takes, or whether he does it or doesn't do it, is his score, whether he's smart or dumb. If he does it really fast, he's smart. If it takes him quite a long time in dog terms, not so smart. Okay, <laughs> there's another one here. You take an object he wants, like a tiny little cookie, and you put it, dog cookie, and you put it under a towel. And again, you see how long it takes him, and you use a stopwatch, and... Stanley Korn's got the scores in here. The professor has the scores, so you can rank your dog. Another thing you can do, now this only works if you've lived in the same place for a couple of months and your dog is over two. 
All these tests are if your dog is over two. Because when they're under two, they're still developing, and you can't really tell yet. But anyhow, you can try, though. And you might even want to try, and then try a few months later and compare. But you can't try them and try them and try them, because then your dog learns by the repetition, and then you can't test them again. So that's more like cramming for the SATs and taking the SAT course and then studying again and again and again. And again. Okay, your results will go up. But are you really any smarter? Anyhow, with the furniture, you after your dog's you know been living in the same place for a few months, move the furniture around and put him back in the house and see how long it takes him to start checking out all the pieces and whether he finds all the changes. So those are some of the things you can take home. That's our homework, our party tricks for today, courtesy of The Intelligence of Dogs by Stanley Corin. The doctor was here. The professor was in the house. And I hope you feel educated. I hope you feel that it was a good lecture. And um, maybe next time we'll come back to the party. I'll be having on the Vets to the Movies, a veterinarian who works in the movies and helps make sure that the animals are treated well. But in addition to that, she's also behind an organization that's trying to educate the world about declawing cats. And that's called Paw Project and why you shouldn't declaw your cat. So we're going to have her on in the future. Thanks for coming to the party. It's been great. And please listen to my sponsors. They're the ones who made the party possible. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Be good to your pets. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.